0: Welcome to The Endgame, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Ochshan. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. It's a special honor to have as my guest today Janine Vanderberg. Janine leads Changing the Narrative, a campaign to change how people think, talk, and act about aging and ageism. Thanks for joining me today, Janine.
1: Great to be here, Don. I'm very excited because I love your pieces, so.
0: Oh, thank you. How did Changing the Narrative come about?
1: So Changing the Narrative uh, came about in 2018. It was a Colorado-based foundation, a Rose Community Foundation that had been part of a national effort called Reframing Aging to help people think differently um, about how we communicate about aging, about getting older, and uh, the I had previously worked with that foundation in a over thirty year um, career as a consultant. So uh, the program officer, Trace Hillary, my friend, called me and said, "I want to start this anti-ageism initiative, and I want you to leave it." And I was kind of leaving my consulting firm. I thought, "Oh, that sounds like a big job," and you know, I was looking for more encore 20 hours a week or something like that and uh she said oh you can do this part-time well of course that turned out to be foolish so we um and then another um, major foundation next 50 initiative came in and so we quickly um jumped from being simply about reframing aging to tackling ageism head-on you know in the workplace in healthcare, in popular culture so our anti-ages birthday card campaign and so we've been around now for almost five years, it's hard to believe.
0: That's a, a pretty broad mission that you have there. Is Is—is it a national?
1: It is national. So we started first year, we were Colorado based. And then, um, and the second year, as we started to share kind of more of our tools. So for example, we put together a toolkit for intergenerational conversation with this goal to have um, 100 conversations, intergenerational conversations about ageism in 10 days. Well, the minute you put something literally on social media, then anybody, anywhere, and so we started getting calls from Venezuela, from the Congo, from a woman in Paris saying, we'd like to (laughs) use your materials, so we were sure. But what really happened during the pandemic is, uh, as we moved to virtual workshops and events, was that basically anybody, anywhere, could access our workshops, our events, and so last year, for example, we reached people in all fifty states of the U.S. and twenty-four countries outside. So, uh, still trying to accommodate that growth and reach, and uh, but it, it's fun because you learn so much about how other people in different communities think about aging and about ageism.
0: So let's let's get to the the core. I'm going to look. I'm going to lob you a softball here. What is so terrible about ageism? Well, that's uh, that's a really big
1: question. How much time do we have, John? So let me start first with um, uh, how it affects um, all of us as we get older in economic security. Uh, So the first thing that we know is ageism, which is basically it's stereotyping, it's prejudice, it's discrimination based on age. And we know that it shows up a lot in the workplace. Like AARP research, for example, has shown that 78% of people in the US in 2021 said they either experienced or witnessed workplace age discrimination. Other studies have shown that when you are pushed out in the workplace, Um, In your 50s or later takes you much longer to find a job if, in fact, you can again, and there was a study by the urban Institute that I found horrifying. That um, and it followed 20,000 people across the US in their 50s who entered their 50s with stable employment, so what does that mean it means it was a full time job it was salary they had been there for at least five years. 56% of them were pushed out because of their age, only 10% ever could financially. So we know there's a financial hit, right, to individuals. Mm. And we know that's especially true if you are female, because you are more likely, if you're of our generation, to have been paid less over a lifetime, and more likely to have stepped out of the workforce, right, for, um, to take care of children, to take care of older family members. So there are all of those reasons. So there's the financial Mm. piece. There's the healthcare. So a number of studies have showed that experiencing ageism in healthcare affects our physical and mental health, affects our memory, affects our lifespan. And, and that's one of the reasons that we have an age-friendly healthcare campaign. We try to educate uh, uh, people about this, but we also know that even internalized ageism And that's like the ageism that we have ourselves so i'd encourage any of you uh, listening to think about this have you ever said things like oh you know i'm kind of too old to learn that or start doing that or that kind of thing when we internalize those messages that getting older is bad and that it's all bad and it's all decline and deterioration research by dr becca levy of the yale school of public health has shown not only does it affect our physical and mental health It affects our lifespan by on average, it's shortening it by on average seven and a half years. And it increases our likelihood of developing dementia by almost half. Whereas if we have positive views about getting older, we um, you know, we can accrue a lot of benefits. So there's all of that. And then if you don't care about yourself and you don't care about other people around you, if you just care about the economy, you, um, $63 billion in annual healthcare costs is a hit on the US economy as a result of ageism and healthcare. And again, AARP research has shown that the our economy in the US loses $850 billion as a result of workplace age discrimination. So, you know, there there are kind of a lot of reasons why ageism is a bad idea. And I also want to say, you know, we talk a lot about ageism against older people, but ageism also affects younger people. So if someone isn't given an opportunity, or they're told, oh, you haven't earned your stripes yet, or, you know, anything in that genre, um, that affects younger people negatively as well and that's why we're such a believer in having intergenerational conversations about what are the stereotypes we have about each other and bringing people together to um, end ageism.
0: Wow. That that was a good answer.
1: Have I convinced you? Oh. That ageism is a problem.
0: I was I was sold ahead but uh but thank okay. you. So you've really taken on a very wide uh span of of problems to attack here uh w- you mentioned some of the initiatives such as the postcard i'm sorry the birthday card uh, initiative mm-hmm. and the healthcare initiative w- what other sorts of things is changing the narrative doing
1: yeah so we're doing a lot in the work um place uh, and that's actually where we started with doing workshops on reframing aging right teaching people who Run organizations that are um, targeting older adults, um, targeting media, targeting podcasters, targeting policymakers. On you know what are communication strategies, and we started there. In that first year in 2018, when we were based in Colorado, I did 42 in-person workshops, John. Um, running around the state, right? If you've ever been to Colorado, there's a lot of territory to cover. And it didn't matter whether I was in an urban area, suburban, in the mountains, in frontier, rural areas. I kept hearing a consistent thing in every single workshop. You know that ageism thing you're talking about in the at work? Happened to me, happened to my partner, happened to my dad. Um, And I was fortunate enough, I I kept accumulating these stories and went back to my funders and said, you know, we've got to directly address ageism in the workplace. So we created what we call the Age-Friendly Workplace Initiative, and that's probably one of our our largest and, and to me, most impactful. Um, And it, it combines a number of things. We started with putting together the business case for age diversity and for older workers and intergenerational teams and the reality is that the business case is pretty strong even before we were facing the talent shortages that we are now around the country the business case for having older workers as part of a team is really strong so we put together these presentations (coughs) that combined the strengths of older workers the benefits of intergenerational teams refuting all of those myths and stereotypes and then providing employers with some really concrete steps that they could take so we still do kind of that employer education we also realize that even when we are doing employer education, that people who are in their 50s and beyond actually need help right now. So we're trying to reduce ageism and that's the long-term strategy. But we also have done workshops for people age 50 and over. We call them success strategies for job seekers age 50 plus. And we also work on policy and advocacy. So very often people are screened out, for example, from employment, Because it is illegal to ask us our age, but it's not illegal to ask us, for example, our high school graduation date. So we work on policy and encourage um, basically state legislators to adopt policy that would ban graduation date in other age identifiers. So those are the examples of some of the things we do. I would say our main are kind of workplace, um, healthcare, birthday cards. Only in the sense that they kind of reflect and reinforce what's in the popular culture and reflect um, patterns of thinking and stories that we tell ourselves about getting older. So we use a birthday cards as a way um, to talk about ageism, but we also talk about public policy a lot. So for example, you know, during COVID, the kind of things that were going on really, I think, heightened people's awareness of ageism. So, you know, for example, when the Lieutenant Governor of Texas said, well, older people should just sacrifice themselves for the economy. Um, (laughs) There were all those awful hashtags, right? Boomer remover, grandma killer. And somehow it became acceptable to to say that, you know, older people should be disregarded in all of this. And then some of the policies were even more detrimental. So, for example, in states across the country, there was something called crisis standards of care that would govern triage, right? If there were hospitalization surges because of COVID. Um, and some of them, including, and I'm embarrassed to say in the state that I'm from, Colorado had scoring mechanisms that basically pushed older people to the back of triage lines. So, you know, there's a lot of, I, I think we've discovered more and more how ageism shows up in public policy. A very recent example, um, and you know, we'll be making comments and encouraging people uh, to make comments uh, for the next week. A, a Department of Health and Human Services issued, and it was one of those expert panels, right? And they issued guidelines to screen people for anxiety up until age 65. Why after age 65? Do we stop screening people for depression or anxiety? Well, the recommendation of the experts was, it's hard to distinguish the signs of anxiety from the sort of fatigue and anger and depression that we get after age 65 um, anyway. I'm like, you've got to be making this up like what there is nothing. And I, so I consulted with all of my gerontologist friends and said, is there something like we turn 65 and all of a sudden, you know, we're kind of all on this downhill slope. And they were like, no, that's absolutely ridiculous. So there's a lot of outrage about this right now. And, you know, and we're making comments, but it's an example about how ageist attitudes are so entrenched, right? in people's thinking, I'm sure these were all lovely doctors who want the right thing, who are probably kind to their patients and whatever, but it did not even occur to them that somehow after age 65, that if you're feeling distraught, it might be because you are feeling distraught and not just because you're 65 or older. That's an example. Wow. Uh,
0: that The comment by the Lieutenant Governor uh, just makes me think that folks would like to put us all on icebergs, and the only thing that's stopping them is climate change. Not enough icebergs. <laughs> OK,
1: I shouldn't yeah, OK, that's a really good line. I may borrow that, John, for future workshops. So
0: again, this is just a huge thing. Are, are you looking at this as a, as a 20-year project, or a 50-year project, or a 100-year project to, to change these attitudes?
1: Uh, yeah. So. Um, You know, a a friend of mine, Jess Moore, who's the head of the Council on Aging in Maine, and Maine just recently got some publicity uh, for declaring that they had a 10-year plan to end ageism. And a reporter called me about this and said, is this too ambitious? And I was like, no, our goal is to end ageism, go big or go home. And I personally do want to step away from changing the narrative to do some other things. Um, So I, I kind of want to end it in the next couple of years. That's my personal goal. I have two daughters who always say go big or go home, so I'm in the go big or go home. (laughs) Um, It's seriously, I think there's a a lot of work to do, but I also feel here's where I'm seeing so much positive direction. Um, More and more people are talking about this. When we started this in 2018, there were a handful of people who even talked about ageism. More and more people are talking about it. More and more people are writing about it more and more people are doing a writing like you do, doing podcasts like you do, and, and talking about this issue. And I feel like there's sort of a groundswell now of people saying, we're not gonna put up with this. And that is gonna reflect ultimately In, I think, legislation and policy, which is really in a way what needs to change. We do need to change our own attitudes, but policy changes can make a big difference really fast. So, for example, um, in Colorado last year, we were able to uh, secure a modification to existing legislation so that workplace age discrimination was treated the same way as other forms of discrimination, like based on race or gender. That was not true before we were able to get this legislation passed. Somehow, if you were discriminated against based on age and you could prove your case, which is harder to do because of a series of court decisions, but if you could prove your case, you couldn't get compensatory or punitive damages so that meant lawyers weren't going to take age discrimination cases well we were able to change that we think we're going to do a graduation date bill this year you know there are a lot of things that can be done and i think that there's sort of a growing number of people who are alert to this who are talking about it who are kind of spreading the word so i actually am feeling pretty optimistic so no not 50 years we're doing this for generations to come i have a um a grandson a new uh, who's going to turn one years old in less than a a month. I can't believe it. And when I think about it, like, I don't want him to experience ageism either because as a younger person or an older person. So to me, everything that we're doing is not just for us. It's for generations
0: to come. How, how do you assess your success so far?
1: Um, So it kind of, it depends on, Uh, the particular area that we're doing uh that we're working on so for example um the first three years because we had funding uh, from a foundation we had this very kind of comprehensive um evaluation done and it was not only whether people liked our workshops or not so i was just pulling that data for something like 97 percent of people said they would highly recommend the workshop. But what was more important to me across all the metrics that we were trying to measure, like did people increase awareness of ageism? Were they motivated to do something about it? Did they in fact do something about it? It, Like every metric had over 90% of people who participated. So there's that. On the policy and advocacy front, um, especially around workplace age discrimination, what I've seen in five years is we were able to form a coalition, we're able to align with other organizations. We've gotten workplace age discrimination on people's policy agendas. So the people who make public policy, we've gotten that now on their agenda. We've had some legislative wins. And some of the policy wins are less legislative wins. But for example, having workforce development centers, which are the institutions that get the federal money to retrain and upskill people, realize oh, that people age 50 and over want to and need to be retrained and upskilled as well. And some of them have called us at changing the narrative and said, you know, we're not used to working with this highly experienced population, right? Because historically workplace development centers have, and rightly so, worked with people with very low education, you know, ex offenders, people transitioning. And now you've got, because of workplace age discrimination, a lot of people have been pushed out, but they've got great skills and great capability. And so helping those institutions understand that this is a consti- uh, constituency and a constituency that can make a difference uh, to the employers that they're trying to please. Um, we've seen employer, like I now have employers ask me, so where can I find these older workers? Great. That's a good, that to me is a win. Every time I hear that from an employer, I'm like, great. We're yeah. doing our job.
0: Well, you would think that with the worker shortage, um, that would have been a, a persistent theme in the last year or two.
1: You know, we're, um, we're seeing hopeful signs. And I think the most recently released, um, Stats from the Bureau of Labor Statistics show that actually there has been an uptick in hiring older people. And it just makes sense. It makes sense not just because there's a talent shortage, but this isn't a one-time thing, right? We've um, we've all seen that demographic uh, chart from the U.S. Census Bureau that shows, you know, in 1960, we had this pyramid, a whole lot of younger people tapering up to a really small number of older people. In 2060, it shifts to basically a barrel shape, right? We've got equal numbers of people. The reality is that we're living for the most part longer, for the most part, healthier lives. We have increased longevity. A baby born today has a 50, 50 chance of living to be hundred. So talking about prime working age as being between the ages of 25 and 54 doesn't make much sense anymore. But we also have declining birth rates. So if employers want to stay competitive, they're going to be figuring out strategies, not just for accepting older workers as a last resort talent pipeline filling, but more as a matter of competitive advantage, right? Because the amount of older people are also, their consumer base. Um, there's been a lot of research, and I hear this every day of, as we get older, we get really, um, Tired of those boring and beige products, right? If we've been interested in certain things all of our lives, we continue to be interested in those things. So the marketing that goes on very often to older adults that only portrays us as a group of people who only care about, you know, sort of healthcare, um, isn't isn't effective, isn't relevant. So I think the smart companies are figuring that out and figuring out how do we use, how do we bring older people on our teams. Um, as uh, for both marketing to demonstrate that we care about older workers. It's a smart business move.
0: Yeah. So Janine, do you have any advice for chronologically gifted individuals uh, in the audience on, on how they can combat ageism?
1: Uh, so I think it, it uh, kind of depends on where they're experiencing ageism. So I will uh, suggest a couple of things. And I'll always suggest going to our website, which is changing the um, If it is in the workplace, it's, you know, kind of taking um, and, and I want I want to separate out if you're currently experiencing ageism, in the workplace right now the best thing that you can do is document document because there have been some court decisions that if you allege ageism after you're pushed out um that won't be taken seriously so you want to document along the way you want to file a complaint with hr whatever it is um if you are experiencing ageism in as you are trying trying to get a job, you know, going to workplace development centers, um, because those are free. I mean, certainly if you've got more money, you can go ahead and hire a personal career coach and all of that kind of thing. But a number of workforce development centers are now offering workshops that are specifically geared to people age 50 and over. So kind of learning some of the cutting edge stuff. I learned a lot about, you know, artificial intelligence and how it screens in and how you you've got to put certain words on your resume, how you put your resume kind of in word cloud software. And then you put the job description in word cloud software and you make sure that the words, the most important words match up. So there are a lot of things that um, for those of us who haven't been job hunting for a long time, there are a lot of new things there. We've got some really, we've got a great tip sheet at Changing the Narrative on, we call it talking back to your healthcare provider, but talking back in a very respectful way. So if someone isn't being clear about your symptoms, if they're talking over you, talking around you, and that kind of thing, um, we basically, you know, have a if they say this, you say this kind of thing. So and you, again, those are things you can get from our website. And I think one of the things that all of us can do is just kind of stop ourselves in our tracks when we find ourselves thinking like those ages kind of things. If, if we are saying, oh, I'm too, learned to try, too old to try that, you know, really stopping and thinking, like, why do we believe that, right? And I think starting with our own internalized ageism is really important. What I really, really believe is that everyone should read, and she is not paying me to say this, but I think Dr. Becca Levy's book called Breaking the Age Code, to me, gives the most compelling reasons about why all of us should care about ageism for ourselves as individuals for others we care about and it also has really practical strategies for dealing with it so highly highly recommend we recommend it so much we created a book club discussion toolkit you can find our <laughs> website so you read the book you get some friends together you talk about the book and 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 what you can do about it one of the things we believe a changing the narrative is don't just talk about it be about it so we're very action focused and And the good news is I do believe that there are a lot of things that we can do to end ageism. So
0: let's do it. Great, great answer, thank you. Uh, Janine, this has been a really strong case uh, for for ageism to be treated as a serious social problem. And I really appreciate appreciate the sound advice on how we can all deal with it. And uh, you you certainly have uh, fulfilled your description as being a passionate advocate on this topic. Uh, so thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it because so many of what, so much of what you write, and that's why I keep sharing it on social media. So much of what you write really does change the narrative. So appreciate the work that you do.
0: Oh, thank you for that. And to learn more about changing the narrative, you can visit their website, which is changingthenarrativeco.org. Janine, thank you again. It's been great.
1: Thank you, Don. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The End Game, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The End Game.